0: Thank you for tuning in to the Connection College podcast. We are the college ministry of Connection Church. Our desire is to connect you with others, equip you to follow Jesus, and send you out to impact the world. For more information about our ministry, you can follow us on social media or visit our website at college. Today's talk is by our college pastor, Austin Hagan.
1: in week four. A series that we have called Glad You Asked, as you can tell. And we've basically just been taking kind of a big question every night, a question that I think a lot of, not just college students, but a lot of just people in general in the Christian faith have, and a lot of times they wrestle with, and they're not sure what an answer to the question is. So we've just been taking one per night and kind of unpacking it, and I think it's been a pretty cool series. So I'm excited to end it tonight. When we were talking about this um, series and what this kind of collection of talks would look like, we were talking about it months ago. I knew that somewhere in this, I wanted to address the question of, how do I reconcile um, a good and all-powerful God with so much evil in this world? How can those two things simultaneously exist? So I knew I wanted to tackle that question at some point, and I kind of figured out that I wanted to be—I wanted it to be toward the end of the series, because I know it's a heavy question, it's a big question, and so we planned it for tonight. Um, what I was not planning on was to have this talk um, two days after someone would walk into an elementary school in Nashville, and... In cold blood, murder three children and three adults. And so, if I'm just really honest with you, I've been kind of struggling the last few days, and just been in kind of a, a funk, I guess you could say, as I take in that news and take in that event, and then combine that with preparation to give this talk tonight. And um, yeah. It's been really challenging. And at the same time, I think it may be a good thing. I don't know how you've handled that news, um, but I imagine that even if, you know, none of us are close to someone who is in Nashville or someone who experienced loss in Nashville, um, the truth is that you have had your own hardship and your own pain in life. And it may not be to that extent, but the truth is you've had your own pain, your own hardship, and maybe even had to deal with the effects of, like, literal evil in this world. In a room this size, I'm imagining some of you have had to deal with that. And you know what that is like. Maybe not on the same level, but you know what it is like to deal with evil. And the reality is that we are all familiar with evil on some level. It hits us at some point in life in some way. And many times it causes us to ask the question, where is God? I mean, if we're really honest, we ask that question, like, where is God in this? How does a good, all-powerful, loving God simultaneously exist with such just pure evil. And a lot of us, I think, especially those who maybe you've grown up in the church are left with just giving kind of a quick bumper sticker answer to try to comfort ourselves and even comfort others. But unfortunately, many times, those bumper sticker answers actually lead to more doubt about the character of God. Because we just put kind of, quick sayings on real emotional pain. We say things like, well, God is in control. Well, uh, you know, all things happen for a reason. Well, God has a plan. We say these kinds of things, but reality is on the back end of that is some real, real pain and some real questions. Questions like, you tell me God is good and he has a plan, but my three-year-old son just drowned in a pool. You tell me that God is good and that he is in control, but my college roommate was just raped. And it causes people to grapple with the very real question, how do these two things simultaneously exist? And I'll just be upfront with you. I don't have complete answers for you tonight. But I at least don't want to be afraid of going there. And at least talking about it. And so I want to go there tonight and I want to talk about it. And, um, and reality is it's on the heels of a very, very real dark reality of the evil that is in our world. And so before I get into it tonight, I want to give kind of two caveats. And I try not to do this. I try to not, you know, discount everything that I'm about to say. But I think these caveats are important to this conversation And the first one is this, you need to know this, that this topic is a massive, massive topic. Okay? This is something that, I mean, there are debates all over the place about this. There's debates between Christians and atheists about this, there's debates between Christians about this. There are you know, entire seminary classes devoted to answering this question. People write entire doctoral dissertations on answering this question. People write books on this question. It is a massive topic. It's a, it's a philosophical topic, and so it's impossible for me. I hope you'll give me a little bit of, of grace. It's impossible for me to cover it all in 30 minutes tonight, Um. It's, it's filled with nuance, it's filled with, but what about this, and what if this, and, and it's filled with all of that. And so I can't quite get into every single detail um, of it, but what I do wanna do is hopefully just, just go there, first of all, and then just bring some clarity to it in the slightest way that, um, will maybe just bring clarity in your mind to uh, how do you talk about this, and how do you think about this? Then the second caveat that I would give is this. It is impossible to give a logical answer to this question that solves the emotional pain. There is no logical way to answer this that causes you to walk out of here and go, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm okay with someone walking into a school and shooting people. That doesn't exist. There is no answer that's going to cause you to just go, oh, okay. You're dealing with both logic and emotion. And the emotion is very raw and it's very real. But what I think we can do by talking about this is begin to learn and, and, and kind of wrestle with who is God and how does he show up to the reality that we experience? And how do those two things simultaneously exist? So, I'm gonna get into it, are you ready? All right. A couple things that I think you need to understand when we talk about this this question and this topic. The First thing is this, is you need to know that we live in a world that is broken. I know that seems maybe elementary and like no duh, but that is a very foundational truth that you need to know, that we live in a world that is broken. Because of what we read about in the beginning of Genesis known as what's called the fall, our world is fallen and broken. God made this world, he made you and me, and he said that it was good. He made a good world. But because of humanity, ushering in sin, the fall happens, and now we live in a broken, sinful, hurting world. And if you'll read this book, you will find a God who created the world out of love. But this world has been overrun by a hostile alien invader that goes by the name of evil. And we experience the, the effects of evil often in our lives. Romans 8, even says that we know that the whole creation, Paul writes, the entire creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until the present time. Up to the present time. Groaning together in the pains. All of creation is groaning together. We know that to be true. The second thing for you to understand as we talk about this, and and this will take a little bit more time to unpack, is this, that we live in a world with freedom. We live in a world with freedom. So a lot of times in this question, people ask, you know, why why does God not stop all evil? Why doesn't he stop all evil? I mean, couldn't he exercise just unilateral control over all creation? So let me give a few responses to that that may be helpful for you or may be helpful for you to give to someone else who is wrestling with this. Number one is this. How much evil do you want him to stop? All evil? 50%, 40%, 10%? Because if you want God to stop all evil, it would require that he stop you or that he completely disown all of those who come against his ways because you are evil, I am evil. We are all broken and bent and sinners. And so it would require that he stop all of it. So let me ask you this, have you ever sinned? Have you ever come against God's ways or his kingdom? What about your friends who don't have a relationship with him and who are therefore enemies of God, is what the Bible tells us. What about them? And yet God is so lovingly, patiently waiting on them and pursuing them despite their evil. So do you want him to give up on them? Because if you want him to stop all evil, it would require that he does that. The second thing I would ask is this, how do we know that he is not stopping a lot of the evil? Like, I mean, we say there is a ton of evil in this world, and I would say, yeah, it seems like there is. But what if that is actually only like 10% of the evil? And that God is actually stopping like 90% of it from happening because of his grace and his mercy. He is actually fighting evil back. And what we get here on earth is just like 10% or whatever the percentage is. I don't know. But how do you know that God is not actually fighting back evil? I mean, if it wasn't for his grace, if it wasn't for his mercy, perhaps we would actually experience more than what we experience here on earth. And then the third thing I would say is this. I suppose that God could enforce his ultimate power and authority and rid humans of the ability to make choices, which is what causes them to choose evil. But in doing so, there would be a world full of robots who instead of living in relationship with God have just been created without the ability to even choose rebellion against him. So part of the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus makes a way for us to take up our cross, to crucify our flesh, and become, listen, become the kind of people who choose to be a part of all that is good and beautiful and true in this world. And so God creates a world that involves and invites collaboration, relationship, and a genuine sense of love. And we know that God fervently desires those three things. It's clear, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, that is clear. So God creates humans with the ability to make choices. In order for us to have the opportunity for relationship, you must also have the opportunity for rebellion. And so he creates humans with choices, the ability to choose. I love um, a little-known thinker by the name of C.S. Lewis. Anybody heard of him? (laughs) he says this, and it's kind of a long quote, so stay with me here, but he says this, God created things which had free will. That means creatures which can go wrong or right. If a thing is free to be good, it is also free to be bad. A free will is what has made all evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. A world of happiness or a world of autonoma, of creatures that worked like machines would hardly be worth creating. The happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is the happiness of being freely, voluntarily united to him and to each other in an ecstasy of love and delight compared with which the most rapturous love between a man and a woman on this earth is mere milk and water. And for that, they've got to be free. Of course God knew what would happen if they used their freedom the wrong way and apparently he thought it was worth the risk. And if God thinks this state of war in the universe a price worth paying for free will, that is for making a real world in which creatures can do real good or real harm and something of real importance can happen instead of a toy world which only moves when he pulls the strings, then we may take it, it is worth paying. So not only are there human beings with freedom? You need to know that, but also you need to know that there are spiritual beings with freedom. There are spiritual beings with freedom. We're told in John chapter 10 that the enemy comes to what? To steal, to kill, and destroy. So we live in a world where there there is a spiritual reality that's happening that we cannot see oftentimes, and it is a battle, it is a continual war that is going on we live not just with human beings with freedom, but spiritual beings with freedom. And it is their mission to steal and to kill and destroy you and me. In fact, I wanna introduce you maybe to a verse tonight that is, it blows my mind, and I think it may yours as well tonight. John writes in the book of First John, he says this, that this world that we are living in is under the control of the evil one. Did you hear that? The world that we are living in, the Bible says, is under the control of the evil one. So I don't don't know if that contradicts maybe what you've been taught or what you thought growing up, but the world is under the control of our enemy. So all evil that happens is either directly or indirectly demonic. It originates in Satan himself and his kingdom and it belongs to him. So evil all the way from the cutting word that you said to your friend to belittle them all the way to a school shooting. Evil originates and comes from Satan. And we have to wake up tonight to the reality that we are living in the middle of two kingdoms, in the middle of two kingdoms, and both are active and both are real. An earthly human kingdom and a spiritual kingdom. And this is why Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, chapter six, he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. You hear that? That is our struggle. We are up against a very real enemy. I love what John Mark Comer says. He says this, when I read the story of God, I see a God who is at war with this evil one and who through the suffering love and sacrifice of his son Jesus and his family, his sons and daughters, you and me, this God is at work to overcome evil with good and in time to usher in the kingdom of God once and for all. But, listen closely, in the meantime, planet Earth is the site of a war. It's the site of a battlefield and there is collateral damage all over the place. We have a warfare here on Earth. And the result of that warfare is that we oftentimes experience evil. But this is incredibly important For you to understand tonight. Because if you do not understand where evil comes from, then you will think that God is somehow behind the evil that we experience. How tragic. How tragic if we're walking around blaming God for something that he's going, whoa. I had nothing to do with that. Your enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I come. He says this, I come so that you may have life. Don't blame me for evil. How tragic if that's what we're doing. And so I just want to say, you know, specifically to those of you tonight who have experienced personal evil, maybe you've been physically abused by someone. You need to hear me tonight. God did not do that. God did not want that. A broken man or woman did that in partnership with the enemy, not God. And this matters because how can you battle against an enemy if you attribute his work to God's will or to God's control? or to God's mysterious plan. How can you understand God if you impose on him the murderous work of the evil one? That's why it matters that you know that we live in a world where there is freedom, freedom for humans and freedom for spiritual beings. I wanna take you to a scripture that is really fascinating to me, and I think it lays this out in a really interesting way. It's found in Daniel chapter 10, verse two. And it'll be on the screens, but I wanna read it to you. It's a story of Daniel and this moment that he has where he has been praying for something, and then an angel shows up, to, seems to deliver an answer to his prayer. It says this in verse two, in those days I, Daniel, was mourning for three, four, Full weeks, I didn't eat any rich food, no meat or wine entered my mouth and I didn't put any oil on my body until the three weeks were over. over the 20, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there was a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold from, I think, uh, let's skip down. Yeah, what are we skipping to? Verse 10. Suddenly, a hand touched me And set me shaking on my hands and knees. And he said to me, Daniel, you are a man treasured by God. Understand the words that I'm saying to you. Stand on your feet, for I have now been sent to you. After he said this to me, I stood trembling. So an angel shows up to Daniel. But then he says this, don't be afraid, Daniel. Daniel. For from the first day that you purposed to understand and to humble yourself before God, your prayers were heard. So from the first day, now this is three weeks later, but from the first day, your prayers were heard. I have come because of your prayers. Now pay attention. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. That's like a a spiritual being, a demonic being opposed him for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, that's an angel, came to help me after I had been left there with the kings of Persia. So all I want to do here is just point out a situation here where Daniel offers up a prayer. And it says that God sends his angel out to now answer the prayer for Daniel. But on the way, the angel encounters another spiritual being that is opposed to God. And then for 21 days, they have some sort of wrestling battle that keeps the angel from getting there. And finally, another angel named Michael comes in, and I guess they win, and finally, they arrive to Daniel. So, here's my question If they were able to throw off this plan for an answered prayer for 21 days, I mean, isn't that kind of mysterious to you? Isn't that kind of interesting? They said that the prayer was answered, but it took 21 days for this angel to get there because there was opposition. And so if this plan was thwarted, are there times when these beings, these spiritual beings, these demonic beings actually even provide greater resistance than that? Like are, are there times that prayers don't even get answered because there is an opposition, there is a spiritual being opposed to that? I would say sure. I think that's the logical conclusion there. And so we live in a world where there are spiritual beings who have freedom to fight against the will of God and the kingdom of God. And Then number three, the last thing, that it kind of builds on top of that is this. We live in a world where God's will is not always done. Now, that may be kind of the most controversial one, or maybe that's a little bit unfamiliar to you. But we live in a world where God's will is not always done. There are spiritual beings who rule this earth who are fighting against the will of God. There are human beings who partner with evil, sometimes unknowingly, to bring about the opposite of God's will in this earth. So hear me. Not everything that happens in life on this earth is God's will. God does have a will. We talked about it last week. Brandon talked about how there's really three things. God's sovereign will, God's revealed will, and God's discerned will. But there are other wills at play in this equation. Let me introduce you to a few. First is what we just already said. We have... God's will. I want to turn to uh, turn you to Matthew chapter 6. Write that down. Matthew chapter 6, we kind of have Jesus' famous sermon on the mount here, and he introduces to us how he wants us to pray. So we get the Lord's prayer here, okay? Let me read to you the Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. It says this, Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come and your what be done? Your will be done. Your kingdom come and your will be done. And so Jesus assumes something here as he's teaching us to pray. What does he assume? He assumes that heaven is the place where God's will is always done. But earth is the place where it is not always done. And so God invites us, Jesus invites us, teaches us to pray for God's will on earth to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we have a role to play in this where we pray that God's will would happen on earth as it is in heaven. But that is assumed that we would pray that because it doesn't always happen. Are we instructed anywhere in scripture to pray that the sun would rise? Not that I know of, I don't think so. Why? Because it's just gonna be there. Every morning, it's gonna be there. Apparently, that's part of God's sovereign will, that the sun will rise and the moon will rise every single day. So we're not asked to pray that the sun would rise. We are asked to pray that God's will would be done here on earth. Why? Because it's not always done. And so we invite and we usher in God's will here on earth. And so I just kind of want to take a little bit of time here to, to just kind of pick at the belief that God's will is always done. And I'll do that by just introducing four, four wills. Number one is this, we have God's will. It's the fact that God is sovereign over the world. Will all Christians believe that God is sovereign A lot of times we don't believe on what sovereign means, but here's what it means. It means that he is outside of universe and time. He stands outside of that. He reigns over all. He's working things toward an end goal. He is king and he can do whatever the heck he wants. And he has ordained this whole thing to go down and he wins in the end. We'll talk about that more in just a second. But there are times When God absolutely enforces his will to orchestrate his sovereign plan, and that sometimes even involves allowing evil, pain, and suffering. But in my opinion, that is more rare than it is the norm, which means this, don't assume that every evil thing, hardship, or suffering in your life is because God is trying to teach you a lesson or he's trying to show you something. No, there are times where it is opposed to God's will, but we live in a very real world where there is real evil. The second will is this, my will. Not only is there God's will, but there's my will. I could walk down and punch David in the face. I could exert my will and do that. I would not do that, David. would not do that to you. But I could exert my will. I love what one author said. He said that the line between good and evil runs straight through the middle of the human heart, meaning we all want to try to locate evil outside, like out there somewhere in the world. But few of us want to acknowledge and locate it in ourselves. But the reality is that it runs in us and that we are responsible for so much of the evil, not only in the world at large, but evil in our own life. Some suffering, if not a lot of suffering in our life is the byproduct of our own sin, of our own poor judgment, of our own bad decisions, of our own immaturity and we cannot blame God for that. So we have my will. We also have other people's will. Other people have freedom just like you and me and people do evil things. And sometimes people fly planes into buildings in the middle of cities, or they abuse children, or they lie about you at work. But just like you and me, they are free, and they can choose to use their freedom to wreak havoc in the world and cause catastrophic suffering. Catastrophic suffering, I said, catastrophic. And then lastly, not only God's will, my will, your will, but there's Satan's will. And we've talked about that already. Satan and his colleagues, and they point us to the fact that they have a will, and it is to steal, kill, and destroy all that is good and beautiful and true in this world. So I want to run that through kind of an example real quick. And I'll choose one that's uh, not quite as emotionally loaded. It's a little bit softer. I'm not saying this isn't painful when it happens, but it's not quite as emotionally loaded. So let's take, for example, you lose your job, right? Anybody working right now? Okay, shout out to the workers. Okay, so you lose your job. And let's pretend that this is not like, you know, losing your job at Zaxby's or something. This is like you're putting food on the table for a full family, and you lose your job, and this is major stuff, right? So let's run it through kind of that example. Was this God's will? A lot of times, kind of our natural inclination is to say, well, this must have been God's will that I just lose my job here, and it very well could have been. It could have been God enforcing his will. He knows what he wants for you, and he's saying, you know what? I actually have a better job for you. I'm gonna take you out of this. I'm gonna plant you somewhere else. And that's his kind of sovereign will of what he's doing in your life. Very well could be. But is it possible that we consider all the different wills, is it possible that it could have just been you? Like maybe you continually show up late to work. Maybe you disrespect your coworkers. Maybe you use company time to check Instagram. Should you blame God for that? Or maybe, maybe it wasn't your will, maybe it was somebody else's will. Maybe it was a coworker who just had it out for you and was intimidated by you, so they sought to get you fired. Maybe it was somebody else's will. Or maybe it was a direct attack from the spiritual enemy that we have. Maybe it was. Maybe it was a demonic attack on your life, especially if you're sharing the gospel with your coworkers and you're using that as kind of your place to evangelize. Perhaps, perhaps it was a a attack, a spiritual attack on you to get you fired. But what is so frustrating about this example and many other examples is that you rarely know which one it is. Was it God's will? Was it my will? Was it your will? Was it Satan's will? Or maybe it was a combination of a few of them. And sometimes you get insight into which one it is and sometimes you don't. And there are times, listen closely, there are times when we just don't get to see behind the curtain of the universe and we are left with mystery and we're left not knowing. And I don't have a, answer to the question of why did this happen. So I just have to trust that regardless of why it happened, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God is with me and that he's for me and that he's leading me, he's guiding me. I know that to be true. So I want to show you a, a testimony video of somebody right here in our ministry who has walked through some of this very same question in a very real situation. Take a look.
0: Um, my name is Riley Watson. I am a senior here at Georgia Southern. Um, I am from a small town called Tifton, Georgia. Don't know if you know where that is, but if you know something about me, you know I'm such a family person. I have a mom, a dad, and two brothers, and some animals, but um, I have a twin brother as well and he's my best friend. So my brother's name is Reese. We have grown up together our whole entire life. I would say that he's always been the person I go to no matter what, but I would say that if there's one person in this world that I would choose to be my best friend, it would be him. I would say that I have a perfect family. I um, Everything just seems so perfect from, you know, the outside looking in, the inside looking out. I would say like my testimony growing up, I was like, it's not worth sharing. It's, it's so plain, it's so boring um, until my whole world was wrecked almost two years ago. So almost two years ago on March 5th, 2021, my twin brother, Reese, was headed from his college in North Georgia to Statesboro to see me, and he was involved in a serious car accident. Um, he was life to Augusta, and we were told that Reese would possibly not, a big possibility that he would not make it through the night, and that if he did make it through the night, that he would be on a ventilator for the rest of his life, that he would have no quality of life, he would be pretty much in a vegetative state, and that his just life would be completely limited. And um, that's just something that I wouldn't want to live like that, and I know for sure he wouldn't. So I feel like that's something that we struggled with so hard, just as a family. Like and i just know i just remember my dad telling us this we were all sitting on the couch you know trying to make those hard decisions and he was like we're not making that decision that decision's not up to us it's not up to the doctor it's up to the lord and that's not this decision we're going to make especially three days in when i first got the phone call that reese had been in a car accident i immediately hit the floor um, I would say the first emotion that I felt was fear just because I didn't know the extent of the car accident. I didn't know whether or not my brother was alive. We didn't know anything and I would say that kind of followed with denial like that there's no way. There's no way that happened to Reese. Like like I said, like I thought our lives were perfect and just to know that my best friend, my brother experienced that, I just feel like I just couldn't believe it. And I would say the most emotion I deal with even to this day is just anger and confusion. Like, I just don't understand why this would happen to someone who loves so well. And like anyone who ever knows Reese loves him. And like, why would a loving and kind God allow something so awful and horrific to happen? Therese, someone like I love so dearly. I would say some things that the Lord taught me through Reese's journey is that anything can happen at any moment. Um, Like I said, I thought my life was perfect and I feel like I just went day by day looking forward to the future and not living the day and cherishing what I was living in and going through with the people that I have surrounded by me. Um, your life can change at any moment, and I think that's something that I've learned from Reese's accident. I've also learned that I am not in control. Um, that is something I still struggle with. There are some things that Reese goes through um, just within like the past couple of months, the last year that I try to gain control of the situation. and try to control and bring up my own outcome and that's whenever I find myself in a really dark place. And when Reese's accident first happened, when my family first was told, we laid Reese's accident at the foot of Jesus, no matter what was going to happen. And I think whenever we try to go back on that and take a step back and try to gain control of that, that's whenever we find ourselves struggling and find ourselves burying ourselves, and so I think that's a like something huge that I've learned. I would say I don't have an answer to why do bad things happen to good people? Why does evil exist? I ask that question every day especially about Reese's journey. I just feel like all I can do is just hope and pray that the Lord's plan is perfect and that there will be an answer to this one day. Maybe if it's 10 years from now, maybe it's tomorrow, that there will be a reason why this happened to Reese and what his journey does to impact others. I have also learned through Reese's accident that it's a daily battle. It's not it's hard every day. There's some days that are even harder and there's some days that are good that are easier. Um, The hard days outweigh the good. But I would say that his progress and the miracles that we've seen also just are reasons to shine that light through those hard days.
1: I'm so appreciative of Riley. being honest like being honest about your story riley and and saying i don't know i don't have an answer and i wish this didn't happen and i don't know how to get through this and i don't know what god's doing i'm so appreciative of the honesty in that because it's in those moments where we don't have answers that all i know to do is to cling to god All I know to do is to cling to what I know is true about God. I don't know why this happened. I don't know if it's God's will, somebody else's will, the enemy's will. I don't know if this is a work of Satan or or I, I don't know. But what I can cling to is what I know to be true about God. And that is this, that he is near. That he is near. All throughout scripture, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's near. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And it's this this realization that he never promised us a pain-free life. In fact, he promises us a life of tribulation. But he does promise us that he'll never leave us. And the other thing I know to be true about God is not only is He is He near, but exactly what we sang earlier—that He turns graves into gardens. And I don't know how He does it. It's part of the mystery of who He is and how He is working, and how His sovereignty is. I'm I'm not sure. It's it's it is a mystery, but somehow, some way, He turns even the most horrific pain and the most horrific evil and he brings good out of it. And I'm not saying that it's the good that you wanted. I'm not saying that it would have been as good as before if it didn't happen. You don't have to believe that, but I'm saying that he can bring good out of it. Somehow, some way, that is who he is and that is what he does. And it's not that graves don't exist. The cross exists. The grave exists. But it's that he is so good and kind that he takes the worst of things, the pain, the heartache, the suffering, the evil that we experience because of the fallen world and a real enemy that we have, and somehow he can bring good out of it. That the resurrection and the redemption of mankind had to come through a cross, through the most horrific event that has ever happened, but good came from it redemption came from it restoration came from it and that is what he is in the business of doing is even taking the most horrific evil and somehow some way brings good out of it scripture tells us in Romans chapter 5 it says that we know that all things work together for the good of those that love God to them who are called according all things work together for the good of those who love God. So sometimes the grave into a garden, sometimes the garden is experienced here on earth and we see good that can come out of it. But to be honest with you, sometimes it's not until heaven that you see good. Sometimes it's not until heaven that you see the garden. But we will. We will see the victory. And the last thing, the last thing that I know to be true about who God is is not only that he is near, that he turns graves into gardens, but that he has won. He's won. And if we are in him, then we have won as well. What if the Bible is not a story answering the question about why evil happens, but rather it is a story that answers what God does about evil? what he does. And that story will one day end with him winning and with us winning with him. I think one of the, the analogies that is used that really describes this well is, is, is talked about often, but on June 6th in 1944, it's a great day known as the Battle at Normandy. And on this day, Allied forces stormed the beach of Normandy and defeated the German military. Historians say that this was the decisive victory moment in that war. I mean, this is the moment where it was decided that the Allied forces won. We call it D-Day. However, it took another year of fighting before it was completely over. We call that V-Day, Victory Day. And V-Day was declared in the same way with Jesus's death resurrection and ascension. Evil has been conquered. It has been conquered, but we are still awaiting V-Day. We are still awaiting the day when it is completely done away with. D-Day has been fought and won, but V-Day has still yet to come. And you can be sure tonight, hear me closely, you can be sure that the hero of the story has rescued his love and the enemy has been defeated. And in a coming day, all evil, pain, and suffering will be fully eradicated. One day, and that day is coming. So no, Satan is probably not personally responsible for your particular headache. But all that is not good in this world is either directly or indirectly connected to the evil one. And hear me closely, I'm almost done, lock and load. And I, I don't know about you, but I personally will blame God for none of it. When I hear of stories of marriages that are undone by unfaithfulness, relationships that are broken by deceit, selfishness, when I hear of school shootings or children abused or foster children neglected with no home to go to, I will recognize that God is not the one in control of those things. It is the evil one. That is pure evil. But hear me, not for long. Not for long. And together, together we join our Lord Jesus, in rebuking the evil one and pushing his parade of darkness and despair back as we await a coming day when Jesus will crush the serpent's head once and for all and he will never, hear me, he will never steal, kill, or destroy Ever again, that day is coming. The liar comes to do these things, but Jesus comes to give life and life to the fullest. And I, for one, will stand with his kingdom. And that day is coming when all pain, all evil will be done away with. And so the challenge for you and I, as we navigate pain, evil, suffering, is to trust that God is near and he has not abandoned us don't have an answer for why all these things happen. I don't know what God is up to. I can't possibly say that. But my confidence is not that whatever happens, God willed it to happen. My confidence is whatever happens, God is with me no matter what, and he will somehow, some way, bring good out of this, and he will one day bring about complete healing from evil and justice over evil. One day that's coming, and my hope is set. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. He sees what I cannot see. He's working in ways I cannot see or even fathom. And so I give over my trust to him. And those times when we say, God, why did you allow this? He feels our pain. He empathizes with the hurting. The psalmist writes, listen, the psalmist writes that he stores our tears in a bottle. That's what's true about God. He stores your tears in a bottle. And the last time that tears are mentioned in the Bible is in the book of Revelation, the very end. And it reveals a beautiful scene in heaven. And it says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes that day is coming and this is our hope. This is our hope that he is preserving all of our tears in a bottle and one day he will wipe them all away. And so maybe tonight you're hurting from evil, from pain, from suffering and you need to know that it's okay to weep that God cares for his children, especially his children in pain. Or maybe tonight you just offer God your trust. You offer God your trust, afresh and anew tonight. The time for you to remove to renew that even though, listen, 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 even though you cannot see his hand, you will trust his heart. When you cannot see his hand and what he's doing, you trust his heart. You trust who he is. And so God, I pray tonight, that you would. That you would lift the eyes and the head of the weary one, the hurting one, the one who is in the middle of pain, the one who's in the middle of hurt. God, that you would lift their head and you'd lift their eyes to see you. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and earth. So, God, we lift our eyes to you. Our help comes from you. And we give you our trust. God, when we cannot see your hand, we trust your heart. And God, we eagerly look forward to the day when all of evil will be crushed by you. When we will win with you, God, well, the day where there will not be any more shootings of children. God, we look forward to the day. And we ask, God, that you would come near to
0: the broken, that you remind those who are hurting that you're close.